And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, if you brought a Bible with you, open up to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be this morning, and feel free to pull the sermon outline out as well to help you follow along. Uh, We are going through a series uh, at the beginning of this year in 2020 focused on the life of Jesus, looking at some of the pivotal events in his life and helping us understand what it means to truly be human and to live in our lives as well. And today we're looking at the story that Judy just read for us a moment ago where Jesus and the disciples get caught in a terrible storm, experience profound and deep fear, and how Jesus responds to that fear. Now, I, am, I understand that for most of us, this is not a specific situation we'll find ourselves in. Most of us are not going to be sailing in a 2,000-year-old dinghy on the Sea of Galilee this week, experience a great windstorm, and say, oh, now I know how to apply this passage. But all of us are going to interact with fear in our lives. I made the mistake of telling some people this week that I was working on the sermon, and I haughtily said, proudfully said, you know, I don't really struggle with fear that much. And they know me well, and they said, oh, really? Here are some things that maybe you're afraid of. And then I felt terrible after that. Uh, Because to be honest, we don't like to think of ourselves as, at least I don't like to think of myself as someone who experiences a lot of fear. And yet, think about all the things that we spend time worrying about. Things that could happen, have happened, might happen, are happening. We think about our physical fears, our fears for safety, for the health of people that we care about and that are close to us. We fear... the things socially will happen or will not happen. We fear that our relationships will turn sour or stay sour. We fear for our careers that we'll lose our job or that we'll succeed in a way that'll make us seem a fraud. We're afraid that people are going to find out we never should have gotten this role in the first place. Maybe that's too autobiographical. (laughs) Bottom line, you know, what we fear and how we respond to those fears is going to determine the trajectory of a lot of our lives. Uh, For you and for me, the fears that we choose to confront, the fears that we choose to drive us away, are going to open and close doors for the trajectory that our life is going to take. A lot of our fears will cause us not to go down a path, or will cause us to go down a different path instead. What we choose to fear, where we choose to focus our fears, will determine the trajectory of our lives. Now, how does our culture respond to that? It says, don't have any fears, no fear. He's fearless. Conquer your fears. Live without fear. I think these are all surf brands, by the way. Um, (laughs) Just be a person who has no fear. But let's be honest, it's not realistic, right? You know what you call someone who has no fear in their life? Dead. That's what you call that person, dead. (laughs) You want to show me that you have no fear? Just walk through Disneyland and lick all the banisters, right? (laughs) If you have no fear... (laughs) 
We, we need to have a healthy fear. We need to have fears that protect us. But the question is, what do we fear? Why do we fear it? And what happens as a result? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today in our passage here in Mark chapter 4. Let's start in, Mark, in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let's go to the other side. He's talking about the other side of the Sea of Galilee from where they are at this point. In verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling up with water. Just a quick description of the situation. Where they are here in the northern part of, of modern-day Israel, in the Sea of Galilee, it's now called Lake Kinneret, it's the largest freshwater lake in the world, and it's about 600 feet below sea level. The result of this, because there's mountains on either side, is that there was very sudden, very dramatic windstorms that would come up on the Sea of Galilee. Now, a lot of Jesus' disciples had been professional sailors, professional fishermen for most of their life, and no doubt they were aware of the risks of going out on the sea like this. And I I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine they've probably had friends who have died to these same sorts of storms. And they go out on the sea that night, and their worst fears are realized. The perfect storm arises and is threatening to capsize their small little boat. In verse 38, it says, But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Jesus is asleep in the midst of the storm. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, do you think the disciples had a reason to be afraid of this storm? Is this a rational fear or an irrational fear? I just want to start here because a lot of times we sort of disparage our own fears or the fears of other people, and we say, you shouldn't be afraid of that. You shouldn't be, you know, as if, as if fear by its very nature is irrational. You shouldn't be afraid of failure. You shouldn't be afraid of your health. You shouldn't be afraid of spiders. That's why I tell my wife often, don't be afraid of spiders. We act as if fears are all irrational, but this is a rational fear that the disciples have. They've spent on a lifetime on the lake and they know that this is a perilous situation they found themselves in. And so the disciples' very normal response to the storm is fear. But out of that normal response of fear, because fear brings to the surface what's truly in our hearts, is this assumption that if I'm going through this, God must not care about me. Do you see that jump that they make? They go from the place of fear to saying, don't you care, Jesus, that we're perishing? They make this logical jump that if they're experiencing their deepest fears, then it must mean that Jesus is apathetic about their situation. Do you ever make that jump? If I'm going through this trial in my life, it must be because God has forgotten me. If I'm going through this pain or this hurt, it must be that God doesn't care about me. If I'm going through this trial, it must be that something has gone wrong, that there is a glitch in the matrix. Because if this was really how God's will was working out, I would have easy sailing on this storm. The truth, though, that Jesus has warned us about, and he says this in John 16, is that in this world you will face trials. You and I will face trials in this world. And yet, like the disciples, we jump to the conclusion that if we're experiencing these trials, if we're experiencing pain, if we're experiencing fear, it must be because God's forgotten us. And they They accuse Jesus, essentially, when they wake him up and say, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you hear the irony of that statement? Do you not care that we're perishing? That word perishing is used throughout the scriptures to describe our state apart from God. That we we are all going to perish apart from God because of our sins. If Jesus hadn't come and lived a perfect life and died 
a death in our place, that we would all perish apart from God. And so the disciples accuse him, don't you care that we're perishing? And I imagine Jesus with a sly smile on his face said, oh, you don't know how much I care that you are perishing. And you don't know at how great a cost I will save you, not just from this storm, but from the death, uh, the spiritual death that you have apart from God. And yet, even though we have all the hindsight of the gospel, we still jump to the same conclusion. Like the psalmist, we shout out to God, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O God? Not that we believe that God literally sleeps, but that his, his lack of action is interpreted as slumber. Our fear reve- reveals our beliefs about God and the world around us. When we're afraid, it shows us what we really think God thinks of us. We experience this in our lives as well. You know, we, our fear situations aren't the same, but our response can be the same. God, don't you care? I wonder what kind of fears you're facing this week. Are they relational fears? Are you afraid that you'll never find someone to marry or someone to love you? Are they political fears? I'm so afraid if that party gets in power or stays in power or that person gets elected president or re-elected president, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. Is it a health fear? I'm afraid I'll never regain my health. I'm afraid I'll never be able to walk. These are real fears. I'm not disparaging these. I'm not saying you shouldn't be afraid of these things. Let me just be clear. You shouldn't be afraid of spiders, but the rest of these things are real fears, right? So I'm not insulting the fact that you have these fears. I'm asking what happens in your relationship with God when you're in the midst of fear? Do you have the same assumption that the disciples have? Where you say, teacher, don't you care? If I'm experiencing fear, God, it must be because you don't care. The reality is that Jesus cares deeply and that he's in the boat with them. And he calms the storm now with the power of his word. Look at verse 39. He awoke, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. Or if you want the literal translation, get quiet, stay quiet. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. From a, great, from a mega storm to a mega calm, it says. This is just something worth reflecting on for a minute, not because it's greatly applicable, but just because it's beautiful and powerful. The idea that Jesus with a word can cause the storms to be calmed. You know, if you're reading through Mark, or you're reading through the gospel, you've seen Jesus drive out demons with the power of his word. You've seen him heal people with the power of his word. But now it's not just a person that's brought to wholeness. It's, it's all of the creation around him that's brought under his authority and under the power of his word. Now, scientifically, can I explain how this happened? Of course not. Right? This is, by definition, outside of the scientific process. This is a miracle. This is Jesus enacting something by the power of his divine authority. You know, Colossians 1 says that Jesus upholds all of creation with his hand. Hebrews 1 says that everything that's been created has created through him. And now Jesus speaks with authority over that creation to bring it into alignment with his will. This is something that shows that Jesus is powerful in a way that only God is powerful. If you've ever read the book of Job, you might remember at the end in Job 38, where God challenges Job and says, Where were you when I told the waves, Come this far and no farther? That should really be the theme verse for Seal Beach, right? Come this far and no farther. And Job is amazed and said, only you, God, right? This is too incredible for me. And Jesus says to the waves, only this far and no farther. 
Just like his father, he holds authority over all creation. This hopefully brings our minds towards a greater God than we can even fathom. This radical change from a life-threatening storm to a perfectly calm sea shows Jesus' care for the disciples and his authority in this situation. It also should remind the reader of an Old Testament story, the Old Testament story of Jonah. If you ever went to Sunday school, you might remember this story where Jonah tries to run from God and God sends the storm on the sea and Jonah falls asleep in the back of the boat, just like Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat in our story today. He's asleep on a cushion, just like Jesus is asleep on a cushion. And people come, scared sailors come and wake Jonah, just like they wake Jesus. And they say, don't you care that we're dying? And they say, Jonah, cry out to God. But in this story, instead of Jesus crying out to God, Jesus enacts his divine authority himself. Unlike the Jonah story, Jonah doesn't have to offer himself as a guilt offering and say, it's my fault, throw me over the sea. Jesus says, no, I am the authority and I can speak to the seas myself. So how does this passage apply to us? I said probably most of us aren't going to be on the shore or on the sea when a, when a raging squall comes through. Though here in Seal Beach, maybe it's more likely than, than other places that we'll have some sailors here. How does this passage apply to us? Does, does Jesus promise to calm the storms of your life? Is that something that we should hope for? Well, here's how I'd apply it. One, this passage shows us that God does care about the fears in your life. The temptation in the midst of fear is to say, God, you don't care. If you cared, I wouldn't be going through this. Now, for us, it may not be a storm, but it might be cancer. It might be a divorce. It might be a sense of loneliness. It might be the loss of a job. I I don't know what the storms that you're going through are, but there's a temptation in the midst of that fear to say, God, you must not care. And this story, like so much of Scripture, shows us, oh, he does care that we're perishing. He cares us so much more deeply than we understand. Secondly, it shows us he's able to calm the storms. If God is able to speak to the storm to stop, he is able to confront the problems and fears in your life and in my life. But it also shows us that sometimes the storms are allowed to proceed beyond what we're comfortable with. You know, Jesus could have calmed the storm before the disciples got to the point of panic, but he didn't. Or as the Apostle Paul figured, there's times that God will respond to our cries for help with, my grace is sufficient for you. There's times that God will allow the storms to continue far beyond what we're comfortable with so that in the midst of those trials, we will experience endurance and hope. I hope that you cry out to Jesus in the midst of the fears that mark your life and my life. But I also want you to know that in the end, whatever the outcome is of the storms that we encounter, that he will eventually bring us safely home to be with him forever. Well, I wish the story ended here in some ways, because this would be like sort of the happy ending. Like, the disciples were scared. They called out to Jesus. Jesus said, it's okay, and he put him back to bed. That's sort of the parent of a young kid's version. But there's actually another rebuke that happens. Right? Jesus rebukes the storm, but then he whirls around and he rebukes the disciples. Look at verse 40. He challenges them for their lack of faith. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? This part of the passage is the part I understand least, and I want to spend some time on because I think it's very unfamiliar to our normal experience of God. Because here's what Jesus is saying, is that their faith and their fear are at odds with one another. That because they're experiencing, uh, they're letting fear drive the boat, and I mean that in a literal way in this case, that it, it means that there's an absence of faith in their life. 
I'm uncomfortable with that because I think of fear as such a normal part of human life, but throughout the scriptures, God challenges his people to act on faith rather than fear. Think about in Genesis 15 when God calls Abraham. He says, Abram, fear not, for I am your shield. Or in Deuteronomy 31, when God tells the people to take the Holy Land, he says, don't fear, for God will go before you. Or the famous passage from Psalm 23, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. If your life is marked with an increasing amount of fear, it means there's a challenge there of a lack of faith in some meaningful ways. Now, I say that hesitantly because I don't want to say that with judgment. If I was facing what you might be facing in your life right now, I might have way more fear than you're experiencing. Some of us don't experience a lot of fear because our lives are going pretty well. And so it's easy for us to look down our nose at others and say, oh, they just lack faith. Well, that may not be the case. But I do want to challenge you. If your life is marked with increasing fear, ever-increasing fear, if you're curating fear in your soul, if you're sort of harboring fear, if you see fear as a virtue that you know more about the world than other people, I, I would challenge you that there may be a lack of faith in God's providence there as well. C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, reminded us that our fear should not be directed away from God, but toward God. When he reminds the, the children about Aslan, the, the Christ figure in the stories, he is good, but he is not safe. God is to be feared. And this is how the disciples responded in verse 41. They were filled with great fear. They said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? If you're following the greats in this passage, it goes from a great storm to a great calm to a great fear. Their great fears of Jesus himself, and their fears are transformed. Now their fears are focused on the person of Jesus, not the storm that before threatened to engulf them, but the person of Jesus. We don't talk a lot about the fear of God in our generation, in our culture. I think most of us prefer to focus on the love of God, and we think the love of God and the fear of God are sometimes at odds with each other. But think about how the scripture describes the fear of God. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. That's Proverbs 19.23. Mary, after she's told, do not fear when the angel comes, in her Magnificat responds with, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The psalmist says, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. A lot of us object to this and say, I don't want to fear God. I don't want a God that I have to fear. And I would respond with, we all fear something. The question is, is your fear secure? Is your fear based in reality? Or are you choosing to focus your fears on things that are flighty and small compared to the greatness of God? Your fears are going to determine the trajectory and path of your life. Um, Fear is only really driven out by fear and something greater and more worthy of it. Because of the virtue of my job, I get to be with people in moments of great fear sometimes. And it's an honor to get to be with them, sometimes in the face of death, sometimes in the face of fears of a great commitment like marriage. Um, I, if I had a quarter for every time I've sat with a groom in the groom's room and he's been excited and afraid at the same time, um, I, I would have $34. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Got to charge more than a quarter for that sort of situation. And the groom will sometimes turn and say, like, should I be afraid? Is it okay that I'm afraid in this moment to make a lifelong commitment? 
And of course it's okay to be afraid. But what causes them not to run out the door and run away? I don't think I've ever had a groom run away. Um, It's not just that I'm larger than them, but the other reason is they have a greater fear, right? Their, Their fear of commitment, in this case, is usually driven out by the greater fear of losing the woman that they love, right? And so they choose to act not out of their small fear, but out of their great fear. In the same way, Jesus' disciples are now filled with a fear of him, a healthy fear, a holy fear, and it causes them to want to follow him all the days of their life. For us to grow in our relationship with God, we need to come to a place where our fears of this world are replaced with our faith and our fear of God. So, this is what I want you to do this week, if, if, I, if I can ask you to do something. Under the questions for prayer and discussion, there's one question there. Where have I focused my fears? Where am I organizing my fears around? What fears are driving the decisions that I make? What fears are operative in my life? What fears are causing me to make the choices that I'm making? Are those fears rooted in the fear of God? Or are they rooted in the fear of this world? Are those fears that are driven by what it means to know God? Or are those fears that are like the storm that the disciples feared? And if you were in this boat with Jesus, would he, would he be confronting you? Would you say, where is your faith? You know, the disciples' fear of a storm is probably a more imminent threat to their mortality than any of the fears that are going to face us this week. They were at risk in the next 20 minutes, next hour, next couple hours of dying. That's a very real reason to be afraid. And Jesus tells them, where is your faith? A lot of the smaller fears that we hold, fears over our careers, fears over our relationships, fears over our long-term health, they're real, but they're less imminent than what the disciples face. And we're faced with that same question. Where's our faith as well? So where are you focusing your fears? What are you doing to encourage the fear of God? And what are you doing to push away God and fear things in this world? So I encourage you to pray about that and think about that this week. Let's close our time in prayer. Jesus, thank you that you do take care of us. Thank you that that even in the midst of great fears, great troubles, great hardships, that you do care for us. God, I pray for my friends who are here who are experiencing fear for very normal and very understandable and very human reasons. They have a lot to be afraid of at this stage of life. God, would you work in them wonderful faith in you, trust in your goodness and in your kindness. God, we humbly bring you the fears that we are carrying. God, would you help us to see your power more accurately this week? May we see the reason that we have confidence and faith in you rather than fear in this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.